the shift for me is I've gone from warrior to magician, from make it happen to let it happen. And I think that that surrender is a big, a big part of that. Welcome to the business of doing business. I'm your host, Dwayne Carrigan. With 35 years in business and close to 30 ventures across 12 industries, I've seen a lot. Amid the celebrity allure of entrepreneurship, many exceptional entrepreneurs remain shadowed. Here, I team up with these hidden talents to unveil their challenges and successes. Dive in with me to unearth entrepreneurial gems, learn from our experiences, and get educated. How you doing? Long time no see. <laughs> I'm great. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you. It's great to see you. You look wonderful. I want to thank you so much for being the first guest on uh, this podcast that we're launching. Thank you. It's my my honor and privilege to be here. So thank you. When we were coming up with a list of who we wanted to have on the podcast, I was thinking to myself, like, who are you know some of the baddest ass entrepreneurs that we know? And you're at the top of the list. Wow. That's no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. No, just a conversation. The whole concept was, could we create a podcast that troubled with some of the influencers out there today for youth or you know anywhere 18 to 40, if you call that youth, but there's a difficulty with influencers. And then we were looking at, when I say we, my wife and I were just watching some biographies and you know you watch biographies of famous people rich people whatever the rock or or if it's in business warren buffett and bill gates etc cetera, etc cetera. so many people delete and distort the things that they hear and it's easy and i found myself listening to these guys and making excuses for myself because oh wow they've got a billion dollars they've got this big net worth this organization they do different things than i and then it just got me to thinking about like hey how can we put together some content for people who are grinding it out every single day in not just business, their career, their relationships, their life, their personal health, their emotional states. And how could we put together content that would represent the people who are, are just doing it every single day at a level that's, I'll call it realistic. We just started formulating names and just you were at the top of the list. And so I wanted to just spend some time with you and see what's up and where you're at. And so thank you. Appreciate you being here. What's going on with your life? How's, how's life in Australia? Life in Australia is awesome. It's uh, summertime over here, best time of the year. So the sun is shining, the birds are singing, and most importantly, the surf's up. Yeah, nice. <laughs> That's awesome. So what's going on with your life? Fill me in. Well, right now I have been grounded for a couple of years, as has I think the rest of the world. This period of time actually for me has come as uh, a blessing and a curse all at once, but I'm seeing more of the blessing than the curse. As you know, I'm normally on the road, traveling here, there and everywhere, wherever life takes me. I've definitely got a lot from stillness, being grounded, and I think looking at life, business, intellect, connections, all from a different lens and a different perspective, which I don't think that would have happened had COVID not created the boundaries of not being able to move <laughs> and move freely as my life was accustomed to. So yeah, loads of lessons, 
loads of new opportunities actually have come from that. For me, I think a lot of clarity has come from being able to sit in stillness. Yeah, it's really opened up a new channel of perspective for me. I'm actually really excited about what the year ahead is going to bring because I feel like now I've had that time to to ground, to get clarity, but now I think it's sort of moving into the implementation side of things. Loads of opportunities for me happening in the the trading space. That has come not from actual trades itself, but I think from the exploration of understanding the market from a different perspective, which COVID I think has has brought me. I'm really excited about that. Doing some collaborations with some friends I was sharing earlier, actually, looking to to run some partnerships with, I guess, people from different fields that I wouldn't normally have had the opportunity to. I'm also just really kind of sitting with what's next, what's next in the journey and the evolution of Kim Burke. That's me in a nutshell. I just love to hear you put into perspective a little bit. As you were talking, I, I was like, wow, I never really actually connected for you. And I don't think people probably would, not knowing you, would understand like pre COVID, you were traveling every time we're talking to you, every time we connect, every time we see you either on social media, whatever, you're in some other country. You're, I mean, what were you traveling two thirds of the year for several years before COVID? Yeah, I would say definitely for a good seven years. The longest period of time I was at home in succession was four weeks in seven years. At the time, I thought I was having a ball and I mean, I was having a ball. I learned so much and I grew and I evolved and the connections I developed. But I also realized now the toll that that took probably to the lack of productivity that that created because the energy that it takes to get on an airplane, be in a new accommodation, create meals and nutrition, and then work out like all of those things, you're in a new environment every day. So you have to adapt to those circumstances. So yes, so I was, um, I was on the go. My day gets ruined with my breakfast isn't the same as the previous day. <laughs> so not that bad, but, but honestly, it's, it's, I mean, when you hear that and you hear you talk about that, it's crazy. And we've traveled a lot. I do understand the energy that that sucks up. And then, so you do this for seven years, but you get pretty accustomed to it, I'm, I'm sure. And then COVID hits. And then I'm thinking in my mind right now, all these people who are, think they're struggling with the shift in their life because their routine has been slightly upset that they're not going back and forth to work your whole life must have turned upside down. Yeah, so I was the flip side of that. I actually had to find a routine. So the opposite for me was, shit, I'm at home. Normally I come home to connect with my dog, change my suitcase, repack the suitcase, you know, get a new bunch of shoes or a new outfit or whatever it is, come back, go see my hairdresser, get my hair done, get my eyelashes done, my nails done. (laughs) <laughs> the key important things in life, fly halfway around the world to come back and get your hair done. That's what I do. And then turn around. I can see you've got a great hair, Jessa. Um, I'll have to get her number off you. And then turn around and go back again. And so for me, it was, it's water off a duck's back to fly 16 hours home to change the suitcase, to be home for a week and then get on a plane and, and fly again. So I actually really struggled with 
what am I going to do with myself? Because a lot of my time was taken up in transit, on planes, transiting, going from here to there. And so for me, during COVID, I mean, I did all sorts of things. Like I learned to salsa. I got myself a pair of rollerblades again, went out rollerblading, started doing all these things. I learned to e-foil, started getting back into hiking again, you know, started cooking again, all of these different things. And it was very interesting to me where my mind and my intellect went and then the natural progression of how that sort of impacted me on an intellectual, emotional, spiritual level and then how that changed how I saw things in my business and especially too because I'm I'm a currency trader, one of the many things that I do, but primarily that also I was able to see things from a different perspective. So it was very intriguing to me as how much our environment, how much our routine. And the other thing that really has shifted in me, which I don't think we've had an opportunity to talk about, as you know, I used to be able to do 50 things on the go at once, whether it was, you know, traveling and I'd have multiple different business deals on the run or different opportunities. And what's happened for me during COVID, because I've spent so much time grounding and I think I've, I've spent more time sitting in silence, literally sitting on my back deck, looking up at the, at the sky, not listening to music, not doing anything other than just sitting and being which is a foreign terminology for me because I'm normally doing and going and doing and going. But what's happened as a result is I think my nervous system and the way my body produces dopamine has completely shifted. So now if my day has more than five things to do in a day, which could include unloading the dishwasher, doing a load of washing, getting on a Zoom call, you know, trading, I'm like, oh. I'm like, oh no, I can't do it. Like, too much, too much. So it's interesting how for me, especially also being a woman, I've also noticed the shift in my stress hormones in the sense of how much adrenaline, you know, the fight or flight mechanism and how much my body previously was overproducing that. And then the effects that that had in so many other areas of my life. So one of the things I think that COVID has taught me about certainly being a female in business, is that I can be so much more effective when I work focused and I work smarter, not necessarily harder. If you ask me what one of the, my top three challenges over the last three years has been, it's been relearning or unprogramming that I don't need to be on the go for 10 hours a day, but because my body was so used to, okay, go, go, where's the next meeting? Where are we going to? What's the next deal? What's the next call I got to do? That was just this complete, it was like my body was making the changes, but my brain wasn't going in alignment with it. So that's been a really big shift for me. Yeah. There wasn't a catch up to it. You know, it's funny because I talked about influencers earlier, but you see all these people on social media who are like, oh, you got to grind it. You got to fucking kill it. You know, more discipline. And and look, I think there is a portion of that that people are missing, but I also think that is overdone. I'm just curious if you could kind of speak to that transition because many people would describe you as living this chaotic, crazy, adventurous, insane life. Breaks get put on. So I'm sure there was some real adjustments emotionally, psychologically, physically in that whole process. But then you know, you get there and the learning of 
not having to be go, go, go every 10 minutes, working smarter versus harder. You don't hear a lot of people talking about that. Mm-hmm. Something I've learned over the years, because I was a sleep three hours a night, literally kind of guy for over a decade. So I'd love to hear your story about what that was like, that lessons that you learned. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest lesson for me that I learned was the universe always sends you signs and quite often we don't hear them. You'll get a nudge, you'll get a little nudge, and then you'll get a louder nudge. You know, the bitch slap for me was I was out cycling, I got hit by a car, I broke my tailbone. So that was the universe literally going, Kim, you need to sit on your ass, you need to get grounded. I didn't listen to the other messages beforehand. So the biggest thing for me was probably getting hit by a car. The reason why I was out cycling was because I watched this documentary called Iron Mind. And it was all about how all the greats, Doreen Yates, you know, John Joseph, Dave Goggins, all of those guys, phenomenal documentary. It's all about how we only tap into 40% of the human brain capacity. On there, they went and started training for this Ironman. And I was like, well, I can do that too. So that's why I was out. I decided, never done a triathlon or anything in my life, decided I'd sign up for a half Ironman because that's what everyone tells you to do in the you know, the business and personal development world, it's always you got to go the next level. One thing I've learned is I probably don't need to do a half Ironman at this point in my life. I can probably, you know, I can probably do something else. And so one of the lessons that came with that, speaking to what you were talking about, was all these influences tell you you've got to have a morning routine and you've got to drink green smoothies and meditate and you got to wake up at 4 a.m. and you've got to do all these things, read 10 pages of a book every day and the list goes on. Depending on who you speak to will be dependent on what that list is. I have lived by that or I've done my best to be disciplined enough to live by that for a number of years. But what I came to realize was, is that when I was performing at my best, it wasn't when I was doing all of those things. In fact, when I was doing all of those things, I was probably performing at my worst. I don't know if you've heard Simon Sinek talk about the lark and the owl and you talked about, you know, you were three hours sleep. I've always been someone who's worked better at night. I call it my intuition hours between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. in the morning. Trying to get up at 4 a.m. in the morning, it's just not in my DNA to do that. Prior to the last couple of years, actually, now all of a sudden it's interesting how my body clock has switched across. But when I just surrendered to my own process and said, what are the important things that Kim Burke needs to do every day? in order for me to perform at my best. And one thing I don't think we do enough is listening to the communication that our body is giving us. And the last two years for me has been a very, I say that I've re-embodied with my body in the sense of being able to hear the messages of what my body's telling me, which previously I was just pushing down. And so for me, I have found, okay, great. Let's look at the list of what they suggest you're supposed to do. But when I look at a lot of people who have legitimately got the lifestyle that I want, and I'm not talking about the richest billionaires in the world, because I think there's a difference between being rich and being wealthy. And for me, rich means you've got a lot of money, but wealth means you've got enough money and a lot of freedom to do what you want with it. And so for me, I realized I was chasing the dollars and not realizing that there was a balance in life that's what I was really looking for. And to be able to have that freedom, but still have the capability to generate sufficient abundance 
in my life. I think that came from getting clarity on what was best for me. I think a lot of people can learn a lot from that in saying, okay, well, all these influencers say, here are the rules to the game, but I don't think it's one size fits all. Hand on heart, I could probably say it's taken me 20 years, maybe 23 years to work out that in order for me to be successful, I don't actually have to follow step one to step 10. It's like, okay, great. They're saying that these are, you know, some of the things that you can do, but what really works for me? That was a huge realization because I'd programmed myself for so long. You know, you read a book or you listen to a podcast and they say, this is what you need to do. But I don't think we question enough, how does that actually translate to me with where I'm at in my journey? Because you read the book, you listen to the podcast, you, you know, you see something on Instagram and you instantly go, oh, they have what I want. But where I'm at and where they're at are two completely different places. And that's been a big unlearning for me. You know, I don't wake up at 4 a.m. I don't always meditate when I first wake up. I do meditate. It's not a constant routine. The biggest thing that's been a game changer for me and is definitely a daily discipline now, I have a, a gratitude diary that every night before I go to bed, before I switch my lamp off on the side of my bed, I write in the gratitude journal, what are the things that I'm grateful for today? And what I've come to realize is that what my perception of gratitude was previously versus what gratitude really is to me is two different things. And I think gratitude is also another thing that people go, you know, oh, you need gratitude, you need gratitude. But when I sit and write in that gratitude diary every night, I was thinking about it earlier when we were sitting here, I'm so grateful for my dog, Lulu. You know, she came up onto the couch and she wanted to give me a little nudge, you know, while I was sitting on the couch tonight. And I was like, that's such a powerful moment of connection, which I don't think we put enough value on those moments of grace. And tonight I went out and there was this incredible sunset out on my back deck in the clouds. We had a storm here. And I just took a moment to stand and look at the beauty of the colors and the, you know, the clouds, whereas before I would never have noticed the sunset or unless I was down at the beach or something like that. So I think it's that piece of gratitude has been a really big game changer for me. And I just unpacked all the other stuff I had in my life and asked myself, what are the things that actually fill me up and bring me joy every day? I've switched from I get to do this instead of I have to do that. I used to wake up and I was in the, I have to do the green smoothie. I have to do the meditation. I have to read 10 pages. I have to. And now it's like, no, I actually get to do that. I get to go to the gym and work out. I mean, you've talked about a lot of things here and it's amazing. One of the things that I think is a little bit counterintuitive to what we, what we hear from influencers is they're talking about grinding it out and taking yourself to the next level. And then you're talking about, hey, I needed to slow down. Now, in fairness, you were uber successful in real estate in, in the mid-2000s. And then, of course, 2008, 2009 hits, struggles there. I mean, you are, to me... I said it in the beginning, you're a badass. And you, so. Oh, thank you. <laughs> what I was taking from your whole conversation was like, you know, you were here, you were there, you've done so many things. You reinvent yourself, you become a super successful currency trader, and you're traveling the world. Maybe part of that currency trading was, hey, I'm going to travel the world. So I got to figure out how I can still make money and travel the world. And, you know, you just created this 
super superpower woman in the currency trading industry and uber successful there. So self-motivation and drive is not your downside, right? That's not where you struggle. That's like the instant natural response for you. The point that I'm trying to make here is, is that as you were talking, I, I was really, what hit me was evolution. How do you evolve as a person from where you are to where you want to be? Part of the big difficulty is, is that most people don't know where they are. I come across so many people that when I talk to them and they, they struggle with, well, I want to be here and they actually don't even know where they are. So they have this internal struggle that they're facing. They don't really know what it is. And it sounded to me earlier, like you were kind of alluded to, you know, you didn't really know exactly how stressed out your body was with the travel. You're talking about, you know, the hormones instantly. I'm thinking like such a buildup of cortisol inside your system that tosses off your hormones for women. That's an instant. I don't think people really understand how much you can take your body out of its hormonal state. And for women, it's a death kiss and they're blind to it. So you've got that playing around. And then we build up a story about where our life is and all that kind of stuff. So I'm really curious if you just kind of nutshell in that specific time where you were coming through this realization of, hmm, I, I didn't really know that I was that stressed. What was the one insight, the one thing that triggered you to go, oh, shit? It's a really great question, actually. I honestly think for me, it was the struggle that I had when I physically had to stop. So when I got hit by the car and I physically couldn't keep going, I think that's when I really got the insight. I was like, oh, I need to be able to do things differently because I couldn't physically move. That physical restriction made me look at my emotional, intellectual, the way that I was just functioning as a human being. I think that's just really what made me go, I really need to look at this very differently from a different perspective. That's awesome. So here would be the follow-up question to that is, I'm a big believer in we make shifts based on the questions that we ask ourselves. Ask yourself a disempowering question and you're going to continually get a disempowering answer. Change your question to an empowering question and it changes the whole game. So I'm curious, is there anywhere in there that you could identify, okay, you get into a car accident, you're on your ass, literally, tailbone. And you're sitting there on the couch healing. Is there a shift in question or what was the shift in mindset or story that you're sitting there telling yourself that created? Because I think this is where most people get stuck in that they don't know how to reframe the thinking and something tragic like an accident has to occur. Or you got to get sick or you got to have somebody in your family have an illness or something to maybe stop and go, oh, wow, maybe there's a different way here. Or you have to wake up in a car or on, on the street, you know, broke with no money, et cetera. It could go the other way too, right? So I'm just curious, what was the shift? When you talk about the questions, I think one of the main questions or primary questions that at that point in time I was asking myself, because I found it very difficult to A, do what I was told to do, which was you can't do anything. 
And <laughs> that was a struggle for me. I, I, I can just imagine. <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, can I swim? <laughs> no, anything does not include swimming. Okay, and, and my brain was just kept going to, well, what about if I do this? Or what about, can I lift like upper body weights? Like what about arm weight? Can I, can I? No. The answer was just no, Kim. So the question that I kept asking myself is, how can I surrender to this, to this process? How can I surrender? To, and then the second thing was, because of my personality type, I'm all about getting to the result and the outcome, but unless I'm having fun doing it, I'm not there. So my question to myself was, how can I surrender to the process and have fun along the way? My mind was like, literally, you can't do anything. How on earth is that going to be fun? So then I had to get creative around, okay, how can I surrender and be, be in complete radical acceptance that, you know, I physically cannot move at the moment and how can I make it fun? How can I turn this situation into a fun scenario? So that was the challenge that I set myself because, of course, Kim Burke always needs a challenge, although that's changed a little in these days too. I don't know where that came from, to be honest, but it was like, I know I need to surrender, but I was like, I don't really know how to do surrender. So then it was like, oh, this is a new experience and how can I make that process fun? So I think that's where I started from. Yeah. And so that's the new challenge, right? The new challenge was surrendering. Surrendering is hard for somebody who's kicking ass all the time. Uh, and so making that shift. And that's, I think, sometimes why you see in professional athletes, they struggle so much. They go off the deep end when they go to retire because they lose their identity. You know, ultimately, like that's kind of at the core. Well, I can't do anything. And then there's a switch in identity. So who I was before, I can no longer be. Now, how do I reinvent myself and create a new identity? Would that be fair to say? Is that kind of what happened? Yeah, I mean, complete. Yeah, absolute. You know, that's a parallel for me. I'm, I'm not an elite athlete, but that was definitely the same thing. It was like, well, I can't go out and be the Amazon woman that I'm used to being and, you know, doing all the, the things. But that's obviously what I needed at that point in time. And there was nowhere in the business world or in the personal development courses or the books or anything that I'd done in my growth and evolution journey, other than maybe through yoga, but nowhere did they teach you about surrendering and how powerful, you know, that whole surrender stop stillness was. So then I think in a way that became a superpower for me. It was like, oh, okay, this is actually fun. And that the one thing that I think that I got from the surrender process was the the mental clarity, like the brain fog and all of those sorts of things disappeared because obviously I wasn't, as you mentioned, pumping as much cortisol. I wasn't thinking as much. I wasn't in that that go, go, go mode. So I think naturally it just became a, a fun process. So I think it's the same for whether you're an elite athlete, whether you're a high-performance business person. I don't think that we do stop enough to to just take some time. It's all about everything that we're taught is about going to the next level and going to the next level. And what have you got to do to get to that next level? But I don't think that we stop enough to reflect, assess, and just take a moment to just be. We're so busy doing that we don't take a moment to stop and just be. But I think that's really where that next level of progression can come from. Certainly that's been my experience 
from what life has delivered me <laughs> in the past couple of years. You never buy a personal help book and, you know, chapter 13 is do less, sit on the couch, <laughs> <laughs> take your time, wake up late. There, there's a lot to be said about it. I found it myself having a little bit of settledness in your life. I mean, I don't take any meetings before 10 a.m. anymore. I, I picked that up from a buddy of mine. It was the wow. best thing that I ever did. Well, I think I started that maybe two years ago now. And I, I mean, obviously I'll break the rule on occasion, but I don't take a meeting before 10. You know, I was always the kind of guy who was like, I got to find a company in Europe so I can get up at 5 a.m. and fucking have meetings, you know? It's, it's uh, but I think also, and I'll, I'll say this, anybody listening, it's, I think first you have to identify where you are. I mean, you were at the stage where your ass was on fire, like you were everywhere. And so you needed to settle down. There are probably some people that have to identify where they are and they're maybe not doing enough. And, you know, they do need to get either up earlier or create a, a more regimented system around, you know, their, their daily routines or practices in order to develop that muscle that you have to create in order to, to create a shift. But whichever way you're going, the principle is the same. It's identifying where am I? Where do I want to be? That's a whole difficult process. And which, so you had to explore that too, right? So you, I mean, we've only gotten to the point where you kind of had the epiphany of, hey, I need to slow down. And there was an outside accident. Probably there was, like you said, there was lessons. And then the, I think you bitch slap across the face was, you know, was the accident. Everybody, so many people walk around, they, they, they have bad shit happening to them. And they think it's just bad shit and they don't realize like there's a lesson. There's a lesson in everything. I mean, there's a lesson in what your kids are teaching you. There's a lesson in what you're getting from your employees. Like just because you're, if, and if, or, if, or from your boss or from whatever, the neighbor, there's lessons around us all the time. We just don't see them or we're not aware of them because we're so sucked up in our whole life about what we got to do, what we have to accomplish or, 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 or what is bothering us. And our mind gets too busy to really see what grace or the universe or nature is providing us in the moment. You kind of get to that point and then how do you kind of redefine? Yeah. I, I think um, what you're just talking about there is having an awareness. And I think that that's something that is lacking, you know, that self-awareness for people is is lacking. So where did I get to? Well, I had to become very self-aware, especially when you can't, when you can't move for a while, you become very self-aware with what's happening around you. For me, just taking the time also to, you spoke earlier about the quality of the questions. One of the things that I sat with while I was sitting on the couch with a blow up donut strapped to my butt because I had a broken tailbone, so I couldn't sit down. So I didn't have an inflatable on there. Was I could see that. <laughs> yeah, I've still got it. It's a purple ring. It's like a trophy. Um, Bring it to Canada next time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, you throw me behind the boat on my um on, on, on my tailbone tube. <laughs> <laughs> oh my donut! I'll sit on the plane with it. Um, so. One of the the real things that I got to when I got to the point of surrender was, who am I? You know, who am I? Well, I'm, you know, I'm Kim Burke. I'm Kim Burke, the the entrepreneur. I'm Kim Burke, the trader. I'm this and I'm that. But I was like, who really am I? Like, who really am I? Because one of the things that I think being in business, being an entrepreneur and making money can do is 
I think you can get lost in the process and I certainly can put my hand up and say that I, looking back now and reflecting, I definitely got lost in that process. And I think that our ego is designed to protect us, but it's also designed to push us. A lot of what we're taught, especially from these influences, like, you know, you open up Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Twitter or whatever, whichever platform you're on these days, but everything that I see is all, like, it's all just, there's very few people around, I shouldn't say everything, because there's very few people around that their posts are not egotistically driven. And I realized, I was like, damn. I got caught in this virus. I got caught in the the ego-driven go-go-go virus. And so part of my journey from that pivotal point of surrender was to say, well, who am I? Like, who really am I? And without the business, without the status, without the money, without the materialism, who am I? And I think if you can work out who you are without all of that, then you know the direction that you need to go in. And that wasn't an overnight process for me. It was actually because for so long, I, as you mentioned, linking an identity to a particular outcome, I had linked a certain identity and perception of who I thought I was, but also what those things gave me, you know, so like security as an example, or so in that process for me, it was all about the discovery of who I really was underneath all of those things. And I think the grounding or not being able to move really gave me an opportunity to connect with that. So I think something that's important for everyone, regardless of where you're at in your journey, whether you're at the start, you're in the beginning, you know, maybe you've had to start again, maybe you've made it big time. I think one of the most important things is to know who are you? Like, who really are you? That became a really interesting journey for me to to sit down and work out, well, who really am I? Yeah, a lot of people don't want the want to know the answer to that question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? I mean, you're gonna like some of it, you're not gonna like some of it, but so it's interesting, like one of the three archetypical saboteurs is the path of least resistance, which it, which is basically, you know, you'll try something new, but you eventually will revert back to what is normal. So for people who are struggling to, you know, drive success in their life. And when I say success, I'm not meaning money. Uh, you know, that's probably the least to me, that's the least level of, uh, of success measurement. I mean, it's the one most commonly used because it's easier and, and not that I don't use it. I do use it, but, you know, fairly frequently, but I, I just don't think it's, I don't think it's the most important thing. I mean, uh, I say to my kids all the time, it's like, guys, you know, look around, like we're renting the shit, you know, when I go, it's gone. Like I'm, I'm just using it like props in a movie, but, but, uh, we don't own anything. We're just, we're just using it while we're here. But whether it's your, you know, you're pursuing success in your relationship, whether you're pursuing success in business, in your job, in your, in your philanthropy, in your church, whatever, you know, that path of least resistance, you know, you'll step out of your comfort zone, push a little bit, but then you revert back. So, but on the flip side for you is like your ass kicker extraordinaire. And so now you're trying to slow down. Was there a struggle where you're like, you had this part of your identity is like, mm, I was put on this earth to kick ass and take names. And 
you're like trying to slow down a team of horses for fuck's sakes. I've known you for a yeah. long time. I, I can imagine what was kind of going on, but I'm curious if you could just kind of jump on that a little bit. Again, another great question. That's been a real challenge. Like I'd be lying if I didn't say otherwise. And it's been this internal, emotional and you know, intellectual struggle more than anything else. Once I got past the physical struggle of being able to move again, it's interesting because once I got past the struggle of being able to move again, I now move in a completely different way. So physically, I'm now moving in a completely different way. And I feel like the whole anatomy and structure of my body has also changed, which I don't think is just, you know, hey, I had to rehab and you know, rebuild certain particular muscle groups. I also think it's it's a whole biological shift that happened with, you know, the hormones, the cortisol, the um the adrenaline, all of that. And it's also to the the body, mind, soul reconnect after having that physical grounding. So in answer to your question, it's been a real challenge for me to to get the pack of horses to to slow down. And it's funny how the mind works because it's like, you know, you'll go, okay, yeah, I'm going to slow down, but then you'll kind of, you'll cheat yourself. You know, one of our mutual mentors had this saying, you know, to put rules in place to protect me from me. I caught myself. It was like, I go, oh, okay, yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to do these things differently. But then it'd kind of like creep in out the side. So I had to have this real awareness of why, why am I going when I know now that that's not serving me and my, you know, it's not in my highest and best interest. Why, what's behind the need and the desire to constantly, you know, want to let the horses get back out on the track and go like about out of hell. And so I really had to get present with what's the driving force behind why I feel like I need to do that. And then lots of how can I questions. How can I achieve my outcome with the skills and talents that I've I've acquired over a long period of time? How can I take what I've got and do things differently? What was the driving force for you? At its core, what did you feel the driving force was of really wanting to get back the horses back on the track? The primary driving force that I came up with was, for me, it was all about security. So as you know, I'm, you know, I'm 43 years old. I'm single on my own. My biological family doesn't exist. So for me, you know, it's me, myself and my dog, Lulu. So for me, my driving force was that security of knowing that I'm going to be okay when I'm I do hold out hope that, you know, my Mr. Right is either the one that I'm currently has in my life or maybe, you know, someone else. So I'm like, but if I get to 75 or 80 years old, you know, and I'm still single and by myself, what security do I have to live the life that I desire? So I realized that security was what was driving me to go, go, go was wanting the security of being able to provide for myself, basically. And so then there was sub-driving forces behind that, but then I had to say to myself, well, how can I provide security for myself in a way that doesn't, you know, let the horses out of the gate or beat myself senseless from a, you know, a physical perspective? 
shifting my perspective around what's the skills and talents that I've got and how can I create that security and also too specifically what does that security look like? Like I know I'm chasing security, but what's the security that I'm chasing? Is there a dollar value? Is there an asset acquisition value? Is there a, like what specifically is that security? And I don't think I'd ever really kind of sat down because I was just so focused on the go, 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 go. Was it just money or was there other factors other than like, was it uh, like you're single? So was it, a, was it, a, is that why you're traveling the world everywhere to find a guy? I think I was traveling the world in complete honesty. I think travel became an escape for me and it met my needs. So when we talk about, you know, the six human needs, because I am single, the travel gave me the love and connection that I don't, my love and connection bucket was filled up by the travel because, you know, you guys are my global friends too. You know, I have global family all around the world. And while I have beautiful friends back here on the Gold Coast, it's not the same kind of connections that I have internationally. So for me, I was always traveling to get that hit of the love and connection that my global family gave me and also the adventure and, you know, the variety the uncertainty because didn't know which, always booked one-way tickets. So I realized that whilst traveling was meeting some of my needs, it was also depriving me of getting focused on really what it was that, that I was looking for. So, so the travel, I think, was a little bit of a distraction in a way. It was taking me away from what I was actually needing to focus on. I'm not sure if that makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure it does. So, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, that's a, it's a great distinction on, in terms of like on the travel side. So on the security side back home, you 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 identify like money, but was there other things outside of, outside of that and the security side of it? Yeah, definitely. One of the things for me in security, not having my biological family around me, it was connections, like true, authentic, integral connections. That's something that I've always worked really hard for. I mean, my connection with you and Chanel is, a, you know, is a great example. We've been friends for over a decade. And even though we're a thousand miles away on the other side of the world, cultivating connections, I actually feel like that's the next currency that we're moving into. And I, I feel like COVID and this time has really proven how important connection is. So for me, the, the security, not only, obviously the security primarily was financial, but the other part of the security for me was connections and being grounded and being at home has allowed me to go deeper in the connections that I've got because previously I realized, and for any of my friends who are listening to this, I, I apologize for not being present because for those who have known me for the past 10 years, I was always on the go. Not that I didn't get back to my friends or anything like that, but I didn't bring enough, I don't feel that I brought enough presence to my, I, I don't, not so much, I don't like the word relationship because, you know, the beginning of it says relate and I just don't want to relate to people. I want to connect with them. So I have replaced that word with connectionships. It's like, I want to have that deep level of connection with people. And so I realized that, you know, I wasn't bringing that level of presence to to those connections. So for me, the connection brings a higher level of security for me now over monetary security. That's been a big shift for me too. 
Congratulations. That's amazing. It's beautiful. I love the connection piece because, and I love the word, you know, that you use presence. I think it's critical. It's, you know, it's something I've learned a lot about, you know, because, you know, I've in a lot of places at a lot of times burned through one marriage. Uh, and then on the second marriage, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I've learned is just, it's, I'm a talker. So I'll, I'll want to talk stuff out. And a lot of times I think it's just the fact that being present for Tennille is more important than actually saying or doing anything. I, I never understood couples, especially older couples, uh, you know, who would just sit at a table and read the paper. One's reading the paper here and the other one's reading the paper there. And that's probably dating. Well, they're older, so, or they're reading their iPads or whatever. And you're, and you're like, what kind of relationship is that? And it's, but, it, but it, I can find as much joy being present, sitting on the couch, you know, Tennille and I will sit at the island at night. We do a lot of work at night and we'll sit at the island. She'll be on her laptop and, and I'll be on my laptop and we'll work like, and we'll just, you know, back and forth, talk a little bit, work, you know, and just being present in the environment together makes all the difference in the world. Massive. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. It's a cool, it's a cool distinction there. And technology has taught us to do the opposite. You know, like everyone's so engaged on their devices and stuff. It's like being present is a, is a gift now. Bringing your presence, you know, you don't need to give someone a gift. You just give them the gift of your presence. It's, you know, it's so important. So I have written on my mirror in my bathroom uh, three words that I look at, you know, every morning and every night. And I, I think I shared this with you actually in one of our calls is that, you know, I do the best that I can every day to show up and live my life from a place of curiosity, presence, and grace. So, you know, I always want to remain curious, be present wherever I am, you know, whether it's being here on a podcast, um, whether I'm at the checkout at the supermarket and the, the checkout chicks, you know, saying, you know, how was your day, whatever, instead of being on my mobile phone while she's trying to talk to me, she might only be the checkout chick, but that's still being present. Uh, sorry, uh, there's four, uh, curiosity, presence, grace, and humility. I think humility is probably the biggest word that over the past couple of years that I've really reconnected with is coming from a place of, of humility. Being, you know, being super grateful. I mean, I've been so incredibly blessed to live an extraordinary life, um, crazy life, but an extraordinary life. And so having humility around even just the simple things in life, I think we've missed that along the way too. So, What brought you to that? Because I'm sure they weren't like that. Were they, were they like that two years ago? No, they were more like focus, discipline, consistency. You know, they were all like, um, they were like, go hard or go home. You know, like fucking kill it. And, <laughs> what are they? What so, are they? What's the new term now? Love the suck or or embrace the suck or whatever it is now. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm out of touch. I'm out of touch. <laughs> I'm out of touch with what's here. But no, I think you know. I used to always. I had a label for myself since I was very young in my, my late teens up until now. All my friends went to university and they all got these letters after their name on their email signature. You know, they had like a, a PhD or an MBA or, a, you know, whatever was after their name with their little uh, classification. And I felt like, you know, I felt like the, the black sheep, the odd one out because I didn't have a classification. So I thought, 
where's the classification police? Like who polices the, the letters that you put after your name on your email signature or on your business card? And I thought, you know what? There's no, there's no acronyms police. So I'm just going to make up my own. So I made up MIHQ and I put that on my email. <laughs> People used to always say to me, what degree is that? And I said, oh, that's the make it happen queen. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was my qualification. And I wish I had a dollar for every time Ooh. someone asked me what that degree was. I'd be, you know, I would have made a million bucks out of it. But um, so the shift there in answer to your question was I've gone from being the MIHQ to the LIHQ. So I went from being the make it happen queen to the let it happen queen. And there was a great analogy that I read in a book called The Three Simple Steps by Trevor Blake. And he used the analogy of the warrior and the magician. So throughout my life, you know, a warrior is like the wah, 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 you know, go get the job done, like focus, grind, all of that stuff. Whereas the magician, it just sits there and swings the wand and lets the magic come to them. So I think the shift for me is I've gone from warrior to magician, from make it happen to let it happen. And I think that that surrender is a big, a big part of that. And I 1000% agree with you. I've talked to many people in business about, about that is like the shift of, I used to go chase fucking everything. Like, I mean, it was, I mean, I was, I mean, I, opportunity, opportunity, yeah, opportunity, I, and I've, opportunity. I've owned 30 businesses in 15 different <laughs> industries, over 30 businesses. And so like, I'm like a junkie, so I'm always chasing it, but you get to the point where you learn, but so you spoke about this need for certainty and security. I think you used the word security. And then now you're like the let it happen queen versus the make it happen queen. But there's got to be a shift there that's got to happen that has got to be uncomfortable. Very. So like, what'd you go through? In full transparency, I'm still, I'm still going through it. I'd love to hear the story because that's, I think, what everybody's, everybody's going through something and or they need to go through something and they resist it or they fear the other side of it because it's change and it's new. And so then they want to stay the same and, and or, or they end up staying the same. I'm, I'm curious, like if you're in the middle of it, I, it would be awesome to hear what that is and you know, what's the struggle? What, what's, what do you, what's the up and downs in it? My ego was my protection mechanism. And the one thing that I think has kept me well, had kept me growing and progressing and evolving in my life was, you know, I had the ability to, like you, there was like, oh, there's an opportunity. Yes, I'm going to do that. And one of the things that served me very well early on was my ability, you know, I mean, I, I've done a lot in my life. I've been a firefighter. I've had a mortgage brokerage. I've done real estate. I've had a recruitment agency. I've been in the travel space. I've traded. So I had a whole bunch of different skills, right? And some of those, so, so one of my skills that served me well for a period of time was my ability to just jump and work out how to open the parachute on the way down. And I didn't so much have a sense of fear and I didn't so much have a sense of, not failure, but I wasn't worried about the consequences. So maybe maturity has caught up with me. Maybe burnout was a little bit associated with that too. But I really feel like I think perspective 
is really the thing that got me to to flick the switch. I don't know. I don't think there was one moment in time. I think it was a series of combination of different events that led to the catalyst of change. But it was this whole realizing that my ego was driving me in a way that was no longer serving me and that I didn't need to prove to anyone that, you know, I could continue to be good. The one thing I I struggle with a little bit in my life is I know I've been good at a number of things, but I don't feel like I've ever been great at something. And so I said to myself, what's something that I really want to get great at? And so getting great at one particular thing required me to not engage in so many other things. And so trading has brought so much to my life not just in a financial sense, but it's taught me so much about myself because trading really is just you against you. It's not you against the market. And so I've learned so much about myself in that journey and in that process. And so I think I just said, it's time to pull all of my talents. You know, what what would my life look like if I just remained focused on just one thing without getting distracted on on all the other things and without the need for external uh, recognition and external validation because in the environments that I've been in, I've been externally recognized quite often and I just realized that that wasn't really serving, it wasn't serving my desired outcome. It wasn't getting me to to where I wanted to go in order to connect with my true authentic self. I'm not sure if that makes any sense. No, it does. I, I guess the question I would ask there is, is where did you want to get to? Like, what was your desired outcome? I thought my desired outcome was going to be one of the things that you learn in all of the personal development books, which is, you know, help enough other people get what they want and then you'll get what you want. And so my mission was, you know, I want to change a million lives and I want to do all of these things and I want to acquire this much money and this much wealth and, you know, do this and do that. And then I realized that I actually can have a greater impact just on a one-on-one basis. Dropping a little golden nugget to the checkout chick as I'm scanning my groceries or, you know, helping a girl at my local yoga studio or I didn't need to be out there doing those out there things to have the desired impact. And so being able to see the impact that I have on a one-on-one basis, I started to feel a lot deeper sense of fulfillment than chasing this larger, you know, what the perception of I had to do these big things. One of the biggest realizations I've had, and I don't want this to be taken out of context, you know, like Zig Ziglar says, help enough other people get what they want, and then you'll get what you want in return. What I realized in that scenario for me personally was I was giving so much of myself out. I had no boundaries about where my energy, where my time, where my intellect, where my resources were going, that I was giving so much out, there was nothing left of me. So I realized, well, actually, no, I need to take that energy and pour it back into myself because then I can be of higher, you know, higher value and have a greater 
a greater impact. And so it really made me question, you know, we're trained on this belief of, you know, help enough other people, help enough other people. But what happens if we helped ourselves? What happens if we poured back into ourselves and became the best version of our true authentic self that we could be? So I think that's the catalyst to change. The past two years for me has been all about pouring back into me. And it's been this like, like this, woo, you know, like being, I'm challenged all the time by Kim. That's, you know, that's so selfish. And then I'm like, no, that you need to go within to pour that energy back in. So as you've got more to pour back out and then it's like, no, you need to get back out there. You need to go and help these people. But what life and energy keeps teaching me is that the more that I just, you know, willy nilly just pour out energy, the less that I can grow and evolve and get to where I believe my gifts and what my purpose is, you know, this time around. And so I've really changed my perception on that. It's not, you know, help enough other people. It's not being a selfish thing. It's help yourself enough to get you to the level that you need to be where you can give on a level that has an impact rather than just throwing crumbs here, there and everywhere. Yeah, so I think that's been a I think that's been a really big thing for me. And that's been a real struggle. Like a real struggle because it's like stop being selfish. And then it's like, well, I'm not being selfish, I'm just pouring back into myself. But then nowhere out there does it say on those success lists pouring into yourself is actually a number one priority. Everything's about giving to everyone else and having an impact out there. So through my journey of burnout and overdoing it, I've come to realize that pouring into yourself is actually a very, very critical part of the journey to success. Yeah. It's funny that you you, you bring that up because I've been thinking a lot about, especially with this podcast, that, you know, if the, the only way to, you know, be successful. Many people think that like success is measured if I'm in a magazine or if I'm on TV or if I've made a billion dollars or it's like, nobody talks if like, oh, you know, if I make a million dollars, it's a, it's a fucking billion dollars. I mean, do people really realize like what a billion dollars is? And I, and I, and I have friends who are like, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I help a billion people and it's like a billion people. That's one eighth of the population of the entire planet. Like I'm, I mean, they just throw these things out and I think it's been so exasperated by social media and, and these visions of, I don't even, look, it's great to have a goal and I'm all for that. I, you know, I don't take that away, but I, I do believe, I mean, just imagine what this planet would look like if everyone just spent a little bit more time on themselves, you know, to create what you, you know, I think how you phrased it was, you know, become your true authentic self. If we were really all in a state of our true authentic self, nobody would have to go out and fix a fucking billion people. You know, it's really about people fixing themselves. And and so I really yeah. commend you on that. I feel like that is a journey that I've kind of been on a little bit too. And and ego, you know, my ego has gotten in the way of that or, or you know, significance, you know, that need for significance. You talked earlier about, you know, people who are posting, you know, on Facebook or whatever they're called, you know, Twitter. And I mean, I have Instagram and I have a Facebook account. I haven't been on my Facebook account in years and, and, and I use it and I don't, I send some stuff out to 
motivational stuff out on Instagram to, to a few friends. But, you know, you see these people posting, you know, what they had for dinner or what they're eating for dinner. It's like, who, I don't, who gives a fuck what you're having for dinner? I mean, I, do you really think that your life is that important that 200 people need to see what you're eating for dinner? Like, to, to me, mm-hmm. that is a post. And this is probably a bit of a judgment. You know, people will call it connection. Uh, but to me, that's not connection, it's, you know, or the, or the, you know, the relationships, you know, it's. It's a challenge on social media. People say, I'm an influencer. I love when someone says that. I go, oh, who do you influence? Like, what do you influence? Just because you've got a million followers or three million followers or like whatever, what influence are you having? Yeah. It's like. What, someone's paying you to take a picture with a pair of tracksuit pants on or a protein shake in your hand? That's not influence. You're an advertiser. Right. Like, yep. we have to get really clear on language yeah, these call, days. Call a spade because, a spade. Like, it's it's marketing. Yeah. Let's, let's be real. Yeah, yeah. You're not influencing shit. Yeah. Look, I mean, I had to slam my head in the door about 16 times to get myself through <laughs> the concept of launching a podcast because this is so anti what I really am about. I mean, you'll, I don't think there is no post on the, uh, I'm going to say there's no post on the planet that I've made on any, uh, social media where I'm taking a picture and, or done a video of, and, and I've, I have done some pretty outrageous shit in my life. Cool things. Uh, yeah. Very cool things. I've done like from, you know, r- very stupid things in the, my early days to some really cool shit. And there's not a post on the planet. I mean, I don't think anybody could find anything. There, there's one picture uh, that that I had on the the internet from a bodybuilding competition I did, you know, thirty years ago or some stuff like that, and that I had ripped down. Like it's it, it, there's just I just I'm I'm anti I'm anti that stuff. And then now I launch a podcast, so I don't know how that really works, but. All I'm trying to do is have just authentic conversations, and if it's if it helps somebody, great. If it doesn't, that's okay too. If nobody listens or watches this podcast, uh, I'll be quite fine because I'm having an awesome conversation with an incredibly intelligent, you know, woman that has accomplished a ton of shit and 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 is go- still going through. You know, you're still grinding it out. You're still going through transition, and I hope you know, hope that never ends too. Right, so. It would never should end. Thank you. Yeah, it never. No. The, 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 most people think like the biggest problem that most people have is they think they shouldn't have any problems. They shouldn't. They <laughs> they they think they shouldn't go through this shit. It's like, yeah, you should go through this shit every day because if you're not going through it, you're either dead, mm-hmm. physically dead, or or you're emotionally dead. There has got to be some type of pressure that we push against ourselves. And it doesn't have to be go out and do a triathlon or run a million miles or, or lift a thousand pounds or, or, you know, be in, make a billion dollars in the movie industry or anything like that. It can be just the struggle of becoming a better father or mother or being a better husband or wife or, you know, being a better employer or a better employee or a better, better neighbor or a better, you know, person in a church group, or I'm sure there's more of a professional name for that but yeah i think it all comes down to intent what's your intention behind what you're doing you're not doing this podcast to get followers or to put a post up on instagram your intention behind doing this is to add value 
And it's like, you know, I have a social media account and yeah, I do post pictures on there, but my intent is to be the message that I bring. I'm posting messages of, you know, like I believe that part of my, you know, my passion in life is I love making money. I don't make any excuses for that. But my purpose in life is to help people find their inner greatness and to to be an example of possibility on what living an extraordinary life is. And so for me, you know, my message is always around, um, well, I hope that I impart my, my intention is to inspire and to show people what what is possible, like what's a possibility. So I think as long as you're connected with your intention and you remain true to that, yeah, we get bumped off sometimes, but we're only human. So I think, yeah, as long as you're clear on what your intent is and as long as, you know, it's it's pure and it can add value to everyone, then, yeah, I, I don't think the the medium or the delivery really matters as long as you've got a pure intent. Well, yeah. So I think you said, uh, was it clear, pure, and good intentions? And I think that's where people get struggled with, right? Because they're posting things that are not necessarily, you know, fit into that category. They're posted because it makes them feel good and significant. And, and that ultimately is kind of the things that derail um, people from getting where they where they really want to be because their focus need to go. Yeah. Yeah. They just get this focus in it. It's not criticism. It's, it's just an opportunity for growth, right? It's an opportunity that if they can kind of see that, Hey, you know, I'm maybe not doing this to serve others. I'm maybe doing this to serve myself or to make myself feel good or to make myself feel important. And everybody should feel important. Everybody should feel significant, but how you do it, you can do it in a disempowering way and you can do it in an empowering way. Or, or you can do it in a way that just doesn't, you know, just consumes people's time, energy, and focus, which I'm a huge at protecting those three things. It's almost all I talk about with my, my executive team now, time, energy, focus, you know, those are the three things, you know, and, and money is not in that you'll, you'll, you'll notice if you manage those things, lots of balance will you know, start to incur in your life and you'll, you'll see a difference. And it's, I'm, I mean, I'm constantly preaching that to the, to the executive team is, you know. Yeah. Money's a byproduct of those three things. Mm -hmm. You know, if you protect your time, energy, and focus, money will, money will flow from that. Yeah, absolutely. Just out of curiosity, like with this transition that you spoke about, where, where is the biggest struggle currently? Currently, the biggest struggle is how to manage my attention and focus and to channel my talents and my gifts and my skills in a way, I think for me it's a little bit differently because I'm a trader and I'm also very much a people person, trading can become quite a lonely a lonely career choice. And so for me the struggle is sitting with kind of what's next in the sense of what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? Do I want to move like geographically? Do I want to move overseas? Do I want to? And so I'm constantly having to check myself now and say, Kim, this is the trust piece. This is the trusting and the being again. I've got the, that itchy feet to get up and go travel and to go back out into the world and to go and sell the them. horses are in the trailers, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, and they're on the way to the track. <laughs> 
Yep. Calm the farm, girlfriend. And I think because I've been taking some small trips down to Melbourne frequently and I've, you know, I got a little touch of the city vibe and I'm like, oh, yeah, back in the corporate. And then I'm like, oh, oh, you know, then I come home and then it's like my higher self talks to me and says, no, 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 Kim, we don't do that anymore. So my struggle at the moment is really, you know, I've got some incredibly exciting things going on and things that I never thought that would you know, come my way. And so it's like, I've spent a lot of time in the past 12 months focusing on that. And now I think the struggle for me is managing the old pattern. I feel like the old pattern of, ah, it's time to travel. It's time to, you know, to hit the sky again. And how do I implement my growth and not fall back into old patterns that cause me to, because I believe travel is food for the soul for anyone. You know, when you put yourself in a new environment, you learn new things, you speak to new people, you get new connections. Definitely need to do that. But not falling back into that old pattern. And part of it too is chemical. You know, it's like you want the dopamine hit. you You want the feeling of, you know, what it used to be. It's exciting. It's, you know, it's new. It's So for me, I, I think that's really the the struggle at the moment is going don't fall back into that that same pattern. And also, too, what do I really want to do moving forward? And I think a lot of business people get to this point where, you know, their business gets to a point where it's manageable and then they go, oh, is it time for me to go look at buying another business or is it time for me to go find another opportunity? Or that's probably my greatest struggle at the moment is what next? And I think because for so long I have relied on my, like my analytical brain to be, you know, it was always, I was relying on using my head versus listening to my heart kind of arrangement, quietening the noise in my head, which is telling me, go, 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 girl, you can, you know, go out into the world and go do this versus just going, oh no, you know, Kim, life's nice and calm. But then like what you said, Dwayne, it's like when we don't have resistance, we don't grow. So, I mean, I'm challenged in what I'm doing at the moment, but yeah, that's that's my struggle is which direction to go in and what to do. And Right. Yeah. You know, it's a matter of quality questions, right? I mean, I think it'll, I'm sure, I'm sure it'll come to you. You're super, you're super smart. And I'd, I'd be curious, what's the question that's going to propel you to the answer that will fulfill you the most and where do you feel most congruent? And that's, I mean, I think that sometimes, you know, when I'm struggling with that, it's like I'm struggling or I'm confused about something, which typically means I'm going to learn something. You know, we've heard that before, but I have to really start to find the right question to ask. And I've asked the question, what's next? Like what's next? It's the worst question. It, it, it spins my brain into like a million different things. Well, I could do this. I could do that. I could do this. I could do that. You know, it's, you know, getting really real clarity on what question you want to ask in, in order to what you want to get. Where you want to get to. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely some quality questions that I could ask myself, you know, what would life look like in 90 days if I took this option? What would it look like if I took this option? And I think one of the most important questions for me at this junction in my life is what will bring me the most joy, fulfillment, and connection. 
because they're the things that ultimately I'm really connected to at the moment is those three things. So, Like, are you working with traders or what do you, what do you have on the go? I'm involved with a, um, a hedge fund in the US and we've got, I manage that, the corporate part of that here in, in Australia. So I've got that going on. I also have a, a strategy around compounding accounts uh, and using some IT infrastructure that has been, I guess that's been my IP, I guess you call it, in uh, the trading space. And I just presumed that, I made an assumption, that most traders knew how to compound their accounts and how to use different pieces of technology to be able to do that effectively. But turns out that it's not as common. I thought it was just common sense or something, but turns out it's not as common as what I thought it was. And so there's a niche in the market for that. And I've also been working with a prop firm, uh, the fastest growing part of the trading industry at the moment is funded accounts. And the company that runs the top 30 uh, of those companies around the world, uh, I have an association with them. They're down in Melbourne. And so they've asked me to come on board and do some um, business development, I guess, side of things with that. So I'm in the process of developing my own prop firm with a, a partner in in the US. <laughs> what are you smiling? <laughs> I'm smiling because but- like... 20 minutes ago you said yeah you know i'm just chilling and taking it easy and <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome i love you you're so funny you're awesome oh my gosh <laughs> what did you call it funded uh funded account a funded account yeah what what is that i think i know what that is but yeah so originally funded accounts started out as a company would you know, they were typically a hedge fund or a, a large investment firm that had a pool of funds sitting around and they were looking for traders to to do the heavy lifting for them and to, to trade for them. So normally what used to be the model, you used to go and do their training course and then that you would have to be in-house with them. And then they would, you know, take you through a process and a qualification process. And once they realized that you could actually trade, then they would give you some of their money to trade live. The the model that's been adapted of that in the marketplace now is, you know, there's a whole bunch of companies that offer it. And so basically you sign up for, say, a $50,000 funded account. You pay your $380 US to, to sign up for it. You go through a qualification period. So minimum um, trading time is 10 days. Maximum is 30 days. Um, so you can qualify in as little as 10 days or maximum 30 days. They have a list of rules that you have to follow. So you can't trade like around news events and you can't have more than X amount of losses per day and X amount of aggregate loss on the account over a period of time. So once you qualify and then you go into a stage, it's called tier two qualification. So they want to make quite sure it wasn't just, you weren't just gambling and just by chance you were able to qualify. So you go in for another 10 day qualification and once you pass that, then they give you $50,000 of live money to trade. So if you're a trader who can trade, but you don't have access to a large amount of capital, you can go in and get a, a funded account. And then they'll split the profit share 80-20. So you get 80% of whatever profits you make, and they keep 20%. And then you can go back and buy multiple funded accounts. So you could end up trading, you might buy 10 $50,000 accounts, which that's three and a half grand, which maybe you've got three and a half grand 
to throw into the market, but instead of trading with three and a half grand, you're now trading with $500,000. Right. So there's all these wannabe traders out there that go, oh, yeah, I can trade. And so the, the revenue model on it is actually incredibly phenomenal because when you look at the statistics of how many people blow their funded accounts and then they go and sign back up again and then there's this whole business model behind it. So the company who's worked out kind of the – because there's all these different systems and platforms that you need to plug in to be able to have a funded account. And then, of course, there's all the risk management on the side of when the the accounts go live. And the cool thing, especially about your area of the market, America and Canada, is those guys find it very difficult to get regulated brokers to work with because of the SEC regulations. But funded accounts takes all the KYC and all of that SEC and regulatory stuff off the table because it's just an e-commerce product. So the the prop firm... There's no issue around trading funds or trading other people's money because they're it's they're purchasing the right to qualify. Um, it's not their money, so that's why it's opened up this huge area of the market, and it's like it's literally the fastest growing sector of the market at the moment. So I'm paying a fee to trade mm-hmm. somebody's pocket of fifty thousand dollars, and I get eighty percent of the gain, and they get twenty yep. percent of the gain. And if I blow up the account, you just pay another three hundred dollars and sign up and qualify again. So it's like, but they're out the fifty. No, because they 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 have an EP. They have equity protection in at um, I think it's ten percent of the account. So that's the trading rules. Like you can only be so much in the red. You can't blow the whole account. Oh, I got it. So the the max they can lose is five thousand. And I'm yeah, I'm pretty. Pay, much. I'm paying three hundred bucks, but I, they can lose five, up to five thousand dollars. Yeah. That's, uh, I'd like to see the math on that one. That's interesting. The math is incredible because what actually happens is they don't actually, until they know that you have consistency trading, you think it's live money, but it's not live money in the market. And so they pay your 80% split out of the $300 sign-up fees. So the revenue model on this is ridiculous, Dwayne. It's like, these guys, some of these companies who are like backyard Bob, they're pulling in five, ten million bucks a month. So I'm excited. Thank I'm you. excited in February when my um, when my prop firm. So I've partnered up with uh, Kevin, one of my business partners, uh, one of the educators I learned to trade with. So he's an influencer and an educator, and so we've just got a whole bunch of influencers and, and educators who are going to pump our prop firm, we just pay them a referral fee, an affiliation fee, so we don't have to worry about marketing and advertising. And so, yeah, we're able to offer something slightly more competitive because I'm working with the people that power the the back end of it. And I, we've got all the statistics on what these top 30 companies have done and where the, you know, the best qualification, the best rev model sits. So, yeah, so it works out quite well. So you can have people trading all over the world. Mm-hmm. It's it's an e it's really an e commerce play than more than it is. It's a, really a, an e commerce yeah. play, yeah. Because I was gonna, you had mentioned that you know you get them on paper trading, and then you get them live. But the real back end is they're paper trading, then they're paper trading live trading, and then eventually with some success record they go back to live. So what they do from the risk management the the brokers that run the back end they you know it's like the whole a book b book in the broker world um most brokers when you 
put an account with them, they won't actually put your money into the market because they know that 90% of people in the first six months blow their accounts. So they, they don't worry about putting your, your profits in. Very few people actually make profits. So it's the same with the prop firms. Okay, they might have passed the first two qualifications and the payout on, say, the first payout at the 80-20, you know, maybe they've made 10% on their account, which is five grand. They only have to pay out 80% of that. So they just take that payout out of the revenue that's been created by people signing up um, and failing on the um, qualification period. Yeah. So typically, the average statistic shows that people will do seven accounts and out of the people who qualify in that seven, they'll get another three accounts and then those ones will go on to get another two accounts. Yeah. So the, the revenue model is just a reoccurring reoccurring revenue yep. stream. Until, so. until they get so defeated that they've got to quit. Or they run out of their own three hundred. Yeah, but most traders' psychology is they'll come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they, because they've they, only blown three hundred dollars. Right. Yep. They haven't blown their ten grand or their thirty grand in the market. It's it's actually a fascinating process. I mean, I mean, I've traded. You know, I I I've done some trading and 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 took some courses and studied and that kind of stuff. And I, I do some of my own trades, but I'm, you know, not not much. It's not where we no not where I like to make my money, but, but it's a, it's psychologically, it's a, it is an, a very, very difficult career or, or marketplace because, you know, you back to back, you know, lose a two, three trades, like your confidence can get shook pretty hard. And yeah, I don't know how you do it. Once you find your flow, you know, it's just, it's really just a routine, a routine thing. And what's really interesting about the prop space is the communities that are being built around prop trading. And I don't understand the gaming world, but um, in the prop space, you get badges off the companies that you're trading with. And now, like if you're an FTMO number one, you know, and you've got the FTMO because you qualified and then, and they run these contests. So once the people get qualified, they now have this community and there's this competition between traders to see who can who can make the most money and who can get to the top of the leaderboard. It's literally like gamification in the trading space. And I just sit there and watch the psychology of these people. I'm like, dang, they're like, this is like this is like religion, you know? It's like they they just it's a really interesting dynamic. I was getting a tattoo uh, from a guy, and his brother was was involved in this. I, I didn't understand it to the degree that you've explained right. it, but he was he was talking about all the levels and the and that's and and that's what he was talking about. And it's amazing when we talk yeah. about love and connection, right? That love and connection is what draws people in and keeps them to it. And if you could build a brand around it, I bet you could build a pretty successful little empire there. That's cool. That's the goal. Look out for funded one. That's You'll what that's us. what it's called. Funded one. That's what that's what we, that's what I called it. Yep, funded one because we want to be the number one funded um, account company in the world. Good yep. for you. And here I thought uh, you were sitting on your couch at home. <laughs> I am. <laughs> yeah. You're an amazing woman. You're an amazing woman, Kim. I am. <laughs> so got a couple of other things happening too, but um, we'll see where they go. A friend of mine is Australia's number one peak performance coach, and she just won 
Australia's number one sporting podcast for the year, and she's just been nominated for the world's number one sporting podcast for the year. And her and I share many common interests. So I've created this brand, um, Get Effed. And because I'm an Aussie, you know, like we we shorten everything. Um, so getting effed is all about fasting, fat, fiber, fashioning, uh, being in flow. So it's this whole protocol of kind of health and wellness. And, you know, we're going to wear these T-shirts that said I got effed, um, which triggers, you know, people to go because they think you mean I got fucked, but it's not, you know, it's like I got effed. Well, what's I got effed? And so Emma and I are going to start this series. (laughs) We're going to start a podcast series and we're just going to talk about a different F on each of the the podcasts. And um, we've actually started in the trading space. She uh, works with all the top athletes and football clubs over here. And, you know, her claim to fame is that uh, she took the AFL football club. They had a 13-year drought of not winning a premiership. And then she won them the three premierships in a row. And, you know, she just works with all the top athletes. She's very good at performance. So when people are under high pressure, getting their mindset to stay in what she calls their A game, and she does it through mindfulness and a whole bunch of other techniques. So I said to her, Emma, you're being grossly undervalued in the sporting arena for the results that you're getting, you know, because that football club that won three premierships in a row, that was worth a lot of money to them and you didn't get a piece of that. They now have your IP and they now know, you know, how to keep their athletes, you know, da-da-da-da-da. So I said, the real high performance space is in trading. We need to transition you to trading because the real athletes, like if you want to talk about someone who's performing under pressure, it's trading. You're dealing with money. You're dealing with, you know, all your emotions. And I said, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to find you a couple of traders. You're going to work with them. And then you're going to take a piece of their upside. And you're also going to basically copy across from their account to your account. So as you're getting a piece of the action. Anyway, I hooked her up with my premium sales guy and one of the brokers and she got, you know, connected with a couple of traders and she started working with one. And so she was able to work with them like from the mindset perspective, but then because she's worked with me, she knew my compounding and my IP strategy. And she was like, why aren't all these people doing what you do? And I said, well, I don't know. I just thought that was normal. And so anyway, we've created a company together. And so now her and I are going to be working in unison. So she goes in and works on their mindset. I go in and set up the strategy for the compounding. I guess in a way I'm working smarter, not harder, because now I'm getting access to these traders and what they're doing and they're building their accounts. So I just copy across that to my accounts. And I'll probably also piggyback it onto the back of the the fund that we've got. Yeah. So I'm able to use my skills from trading to compound my skills and experience from trading. So that's something else I'm working on as well. (laughs) Wow. I can't thank you enough, Kim. Uh, Talking to you is always a gift for me. Love you tons. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you. Especially first podcast. So really appreciate you, your patience. Yay, Uh, we did it. We did it. It's done. I wanted to have you back anyways. If you could, if you could bring Emma, regardless, if she's not, if she's not into it, um, I want to have you back anyways, um, because we could have talked forever. Because I know there's a whole bunch of stuff like that is on the list that just from us talking here, I'm like, oh my god, I could, I could talk to you all afternoon. So, 
Yeah, but I just also want to say a massive, massive thank you to you. Like just the fact that you thought of me and that you thought enough of my life experience and what I have to offer. I really am humbled by that and and honored that you that you thought of me and that I could be your first test dummy. So thank you. I really appreciate that. You should be just saying, yeah, fucking right. I should have been your first. So you're, uh, you're well, fucking you're right. Awesome. Of course I'd be at the top of your list. <laughs> <laughs> you are awesome. Thank you so much. I cannot thank you enough. This has been an awesome conversation and, and you, you epitomize. Yeah. I, I certainly don't want to make this a, you know, feminine thing, but you, you epitomize you know, st- strong, sensitive, feminine woman. We've known each other about uh, 2008, I think. So what are we now? 14 years coming up 15. Wow. Yeah. So I've seen your transition in many ways. You are literally a, a gift uh, walking this planet. And, uh, and I'm super grateful to have you here. I love you. Thank you. And that means a lot to me, given that I think the first time that you guys met me, I probably wasn't that feminine. Um. We'll, tell, we'll, tell, we'll tell some stories next time you're on the show. <laughs> That's the hook for the listeners to come back next time we have you on. Right there. That's it. Right. Love you, kiddo. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you being with us. If you found value in the show and know a friend or a coworker who could benefit from the conversation, please share the link via text or on social media. Remember, each share creates a ripple effect of knowledge and inspiration. We'll see you next week. The views, information, or opinions expressed by guests during the Business of Doing Business podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Dwayne Kerrigan and his affiliates. Dwayne Kerrigan, or the Business of Doing Business podcast, is not responsible for and does not verify the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. Listeners are advised to consult with a qualified professional or specialist before making any decisions based on the content of this podcast.